Welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Today we're going to talk about vision. Uh, last week we talked purpose, today vision, next week's going to be mission. And um, if you remember last week on purpose, we talked about the purpose here at Reliance, <clears throat> but we also feel for, uh, uh, this is for all believers, is that we want to see and reflect the glory of, the God, uh, glory of God. That's our heart. We want to see and reflect the glory of God. We believe that that's why we were created, that we would reflect his glory. And so I want to encourage you just to kind of keep locking into that. And today we're going to talk about vision. Vision's a big deal. <coughs> I apologize. I have a cough. Um, vision is a big deal. I remember when I was 13, 14 years old, and uh, I went out for the first time to, to deer hunt, bow hunt with my dad. And I remember it was a foggy, foggy, foggy Kansas day. I mean, I feel like it was maybe like the foggiest of all foggy days. I don't know why. That's what it felt like. And we walked into this forest. It's pitch dark. It's early in the morning, like 4 a.m. It's foggy. I have no idea where we're going. I'm just following my dad. And he gets to the tree stand that's right kind of in the middle of this forest. And he says, hey, hon, I need you to help me up, get in the tree stand, and then, and then I'm going to point you to the direction of the tree stand you're going to sit in. It's about 100 yards away. Just go straight south, right? So I was like, all right, Dad. So I help him up there. And, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm 13, 14, in the middle of what feels like an enchanted forest, right? Can't see any. I mean, you literally can't see anything. And I've got this little flashlight. He says, just walk due south. I'm 13, I have no idea what south means. He says, walk due south, and you're gonna run right in your tree stand. So I remember, an hour and a half goes by. An hour and a half, I'm walking around this forest. I feel like I'm two counties away now, okay? And I'm wandering, I'm literally walking around going, this has to be what hell feels like, right? Like I'm wandering around, I don't know where I'm at, I'm lost, I can't find anything. And in just this moment of desperation, I know we're deer hunting, but this moment of desperation, I, just, I cry out, I said, Dad! I was hoping he would hear me. And he, just right above me, the light comes on, and he's laughing hysterically. He's just laughing. He's laughing. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I have watched you for an hour and a half walking circles, right? <laughs> and I remember going, I'm going to shoot you with my bow. And, and I said, why do you say something? He goes, I couldn't stop from laughing. He said, you just walked and walked. And he says, you was like panic. You could see your flashlight going all over. I'm like, Dad, that's the most horrible thing you could do. I would do it to my kids, but that's horrible, all right? <laughs> but I'll never forget, man, I walked. He pointed me in the direction I was supposed to go, but, and so I had a vision for where I was supposed to be, but because I couldn't get I walked around in circles after circles after circles, and then in desperation, I cried out, Dad, and he was there, right? And I think how, how much this translates many times to our Christian life. I feel like there's a lot of believers out there where God has given us a vision to go towards, but we just walk aimlessly around in circles. Over and over and over. And every now and again, we cry out, Father! And he goes, I'm here, <laughs> right? And then we, we, we just walk aimlessly around. And so for, for us, vision is such a big deal because I believe that God is trying to get us somewhere. Amen? And when I say he's trying to get us somewhere, I'm saying he's trying to get us somewhere where he's at what he's doing. And so, again, vision is this really big thing. And today, in particular, we're going to talk about kingdom vision. When I say kingdom vision, I'm talking about the kind of vision that gives you the ability to see beyond your present circumstance. 
the ability to see beyond your present situation, the, the ability to see beyond where you're currently seeing right now. That's the kind of kingdom vision that we're talking about. Um, I love history. I share this all the time. But I, 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 when I'm watching history, I love stories like Lewis and Clark. You guys remember studying them, right? And so they're, they're tasked with finding, you know, how to get across from this side of the United States to this side of the United States. And so they're kind of picture that find a path from here to here. A to B, find a path. And I just have this picture that they're in this canoe and they're going down these, you know, streams and these rivers. And all of a sudden they come up on something that would just be monumental and epic. All of a sudden something they've never probably seen quite like this. They hit the mountains, Rocky Mountains, wherever they They hit these mountains and something in their heart now has to say, can we get beyond that because we don't know what's on the other side? So here I am, I'm floating down the river, everything's going well, it's, I can see it, and now all of a sudden I hit this place in my life, and I have to ask this question, does the river still flow on the other side? Kingdom vision says that when you hit this place, there's something in your heart that says, I believe in vision with the, what the Lord has given me, that the river still flows on the other side, and I take it in faith. And so there's this opportunity where vision becomes not just what's right in front of you, but knowing, trusting, and believing that there's something on the other side. And in that moment, that, that, that kingdom vision, in that moment, that kingdom vision becomes faith. Faith is hope in the things unseen. It's trusting that that river is going to flow on the other side. You see, kingdom vision always takes you further it's the ability to see beyond the vision that you have. So vision, so when we're talking about kingdom vision, kingdom vision is what we see, but it's also, and this is key, it's also the way in which we see. Jesus said this, that our eyes are the windows of our heart. Jesus said that our eyes are the windows of our heart. When Paul prayed, this is what he prayed. He says, oh, that you would open the eyes of their heart and that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened. In other words, we perceive things with our eyes, but we see with our hearts. And when we see with our hearts, we get to see and determine what it is that Jesus is doing. I think so many times in life, we allow only our perception to cloud the kingdom vision that God has for us. In other words, we've got a perception of what we see. It doesn't look good or, or it doesn't look, it, it looks too challenging. It looks too monumental. It looks too big, whatever it may be. And so what we perceive, we stop believing the vision of our hearts of what we know God can do. And so this thing with vision is such a big deal. And one of the ways in which we trust the Lord is that it's always good to be reminded and go back and reflect on what Jesus has already done before. What has Jesus done before? What's his character? What's his nature? This helps us to catch vision. I want you to hear this, church. Our history with God is important when new seasons come upon us. We're going to talk a lot more about this in the upcoming months. But our history with God is important when a new vision comes, when we feel like the Lord is kind of gripping down and saying, there's something come, something's happening. You're not, you're not going to see it. You're perceiving things. You're perceiving things. But I want you to see with your heart. I want you to remember what I've done. And when those moments come, our history with God is important. Because when you can't see what's ahead, it's important to remember what God has done behind and so I want to take you to somewhere. It's one of my favorite scripture verses about the disciples because I resonate so much with them. It's in Mark chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 14. 
And it's really all about these guys um, right after Jesus did the <coughs> feeding of the, of the 4,000. So in, in, in Mark 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. In Mark 8, he did it again with 4,000. Okay, and it's right after this moment, they've just seen Jesus do a miracle. They, they, they were, <coughs> excuse me, able to participate in it. They watched it all just unfold in front of their eyes. And then in verse 14, they find themselves in a boat going across the sea. And here's what it says. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat, and they were crossing the lake. And Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees of Herod. At this, they began to argue with each other. I picture my kids fighting over fruit snacks in the car like we never feed you. Amen? At this, they began to argue. It's like, it's like they don't think that we're going to stop for lunch. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? And then he says something to them, church, that I think we have to lock into today for our own lives. He says, are your hearts too hard to take it in? Do you remember what he said earlier? We perceive with our eyes, but we see with our hearts. And now he's challenging them here. Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Have you stopped seeing with the kingdom vision that I've placed on your hearts? He says in verse 18, you have eyes and you can't see. You have ears, you can't hear. Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? And he asked him the same thing. When I fed the 4,000, how many baskets did you pick up? And here's what we see in both of those scenarios. He's, he's showing them, do you remember when you had nothing? You, you felt like you had lack. I took a couple of loaves and some fish. I took a few loaves and some fish, and I did something that everybody said was impossible. Do you remember that? Do you not remember how I took when there was no way, when I told you, you feed them, and you're like, there's no way we can do it, Lord. And I told you just to collect what you had, and I was able to feed over 5,000 plus. Do you not remember that moment? Have your hearts been so hardened that you forget who I am? I think that's why he said, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, because the Pharisees could know every one of the scriptures in the Old Testament. The Pharisees knew it all, and yet they did not see Jesus for who he was. They had lost sight. They perceived something, but they did not see him. When we talk about vision, the quote that I read about this says, their hearts were hardened at what the Lord had done at the beginning of the day. They didn't think that Jesus was going to be able to multiply and feed the 4,000. He says their hearts were hardened at what the Lord had done at the beginning of the day, and it was to position them for what he was going to do throughout his ministry. I'm going to take your little, I'm going to take your lack, I'm going to take what you don't think you have. I'm going to give you something that you perceive, and I'm going to show you what the kingdom vision does in your heart. I just believe when we talk about vision, we have to remember who Jesus is and what he has done already. Because when we talk about vision, vision and faith have to be partnered together. You can't separate vision and say, we're going to have vision but no faith. And you can't say, hey, we're going to have faith but we have no vision. 
Vision and faith are always partnered together. I believe the Lord always addresses both of those together. Tony Evans, a popular evangelist out there, he has this word on faith that just absolutely blew me away the other day when I was listening to it. Uh, one of the guys sent it to me, and it comes from Matthew 17. And in Matthew 17, you, you find this man, and he's in desperation. His son is, is tweaking out. His son's having seizures. He suffers terribly. He throws himself in the fire. He's being terrorized, essentially, by a demonic spirit. He's being terrorized. This guy is desperate for help for his son. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus had already breathed on his disciples and said, go, do ministry, heal, I mean, walk among the people, cast out demons. He'd already given them authority. But something happened. This man brought his son to the disciples, and the disciples in that moment, they tried praying over him, and nothing happened. And so this man's in desperation, so he seeks out Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 15. He says, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire <coughs> or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said in the way that only he can say it, you know, encouraging and building up, you faithless and corrupt people, right? <laughs> I love it. How long must I be with you? <laughs> That's awesome. Amen. How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. <clears throat> From that moment, the boy was well. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately. You know they're over here going, dang it, right? And they're like, Jesus, come here. Like, you, what, what happened here? Like, we've been walking, we've been healing, we've been doing things. They asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And in verse 20, it's a scripture that gets so used and so abused at times. And he says, you don't have enough faith. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there. So a lot move. Nothing would be impossible. Let me, let me tell you why I say we camp out on that verse a, a lot. And <clears throat> we always, and, and maybe you've grown up in a place where all of a sudden that actually was very condemning to you because you were going through a season in your life where you felt like you needed healing <clears throat> or you had a family member who felt like needed healing and everybody around you and they were trying to be nice, but they're like, maybe if you just had more faith, right? Maybe if you just had a little bit more, if you could just muster up a little bit of faith. Jesus says it right there. If you just had the faith of a mustard seed, you could just get a little bit more. So we spend our life feeling condemned that somehow we don't have enough faith. And, and, and you, I'm telling you right now, there's times where I've heard people say, you just need to get more faith. You just need to get more faith. And I'm like, I don't know how to get any more faith. I got a thousand people praying for me. Amen. And I'm like, I don't understand what it is that you're trying to do, Lord. And, and so we've, we've used that scripture verse at times to a condemnation over people. And I don't think that was the heart of God. Amen. And so if, if you've ever seen the size of a mustard seed, can you bring up that picture? <clears throat> you see in between that guy's fingers, that little tiny seed? Inside of that seed is a 15-foot tree. You guys have seen some of the largest churches in the world of sequoia trees in California. You bring up that next picture? This is the size of the seed of the sequoia tree that leads to this size of a tree. Right there. Inside of these tiny little seeds is huge life. 
Let me tell you how Tony Evans broke it down. And I was like, bam, just got Jesus juked. Listen to this. He said, the seed is tiny. The seed is tiny, but what's inside the seed is huge. What made their faith little was not the size of faith that they had. The faith that they had was not the issue. He's like, look, it's as small as a mustard seed. That's all you need, as small as a mustard seed. And I'm sure in their life they're going, well, we've had that because we've been casting out demons and we've been healing people. So what gives this time? And he says, what made their faith little was not the size of the faith issue, but the lack of the life inside. The lack of the life inside was the issue. Do you believe who's inside of you? It's not your, do you believe who's inside of you? It's not, it's not the, the mustard seed. I would just say that most of you guys probably have mustard seed faith in here. You're here on a Sunday morning. You could be out doing something else. You've probably got that little bit of faith that's stirring in your heart. The question is, do you know the life that's inside of that seed? The life that's inside of that seed it's important because when we come to know the life that's inside of that seed, it will change everything in your life. So, okay, so I, I really feel like the Lord wants me to jump to something else real quick. I'm going to come back to this. I was listening to a, a message the other day um, <coughs> by Chris Valaton. Honestly, I thought about having you guys come in and push play, but it's 50 minutes, all right? It was like, ah, uh, I mean, it challenged me. It wrecked me. It brought me to a place of going, Lord, I'm ready to do anything for you, and it's a message uh, that he calls Creating Tipping Points. My wife sent it to me, called Creating Tipping Points. You can go and listen to it, Creating Tipping Points, Chris Valaton. But I wanted to highlight a couple of things in this. He says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. And if our heart is where our vision is at, you could say that he's looking to and fro to support those who have his vision. Those who are chasing after his vision. And so he read this book called Tipping Points. Some of you guys may have read this book. But in this book called Tipping Points, there's a story in history. And he says that, you know, usually history is moved by a person, not just a group of people. It starts with a person. And in this book called... <clears throat> The tipping point, he says that in 1964 in Queens, New York, a woman was brutally raped and murdered. Now, you might tell, well, what, what's, what's the you know, purpose of lots of people are murdered in New York? What was unique about this story in 1964 is that 38 people watched this play out for a half hour and did nothing. And so these researchers got together and said, why, why would this happen? And they wanted to kind of look at this particular crime and other crimes that were like this. And so they got kind of a group together. They found the police reports. They read it. They tracked down seven, eight, ten people that were there out of the 38. And they interviewed them. And they asked them the question, why didn't you act? Why didn't you do something? Why weren't you stirred? Why, why didn't you call the police? And every single one of them from this group and then the other cases that they interviewed said the same thing. I thought somebody else would do it. I thought somebody else called the police. And what they found was the more people who view a crime, the less likely anyone will do anything about it. In fact, some of the stats that he shared out of memory were like, 
if one person views a crime, 90% of the time they're going to act, they're going to call, they're going to intervene. If three people view a crime, it drops to 80%. If a crowd sees a crime, less than 50% of the time will anybody act or call. And so consequently, no one does anything about it. And so here's what he said. Here's the point. He said, here's the point of this tipping point. His whole message was on this tipping point. You've got this thing here, and oh, it's almost, what's going to create that point where it just tips? What's going to create the point out of balance where it just tips? And he said, so the point in his book is that crowds don't create tipping points. People do. Crowds don't create tipping point. People do. And it so stirred my heart because I believe that we are in this time now in Christianity where Christianity, the name Christianity, the thing that's associated with Christianity is no longer holding power or authority that in the way that it once did. When I say power and authority, I'm not saying lording things over people. I'm saying when somebody saw a Christian, there was something in their heart where they said, those people are selfless and humble and they have a hunger for the Lord and they serve and they love people. Amen. And now you use the word Christianity, you just throw it out. It's just like, whatever, everybody's Christians, everybody's good, everybody's Christians, whatever. And so I believe that this tipping point right now, so strongly in my heart, is coming where somebody is going to tip the scales to say it's time to have another awakening or revival for the kingdom of God. It's a tipping point. It's a tipping point where we're saying, God, somebody, not somebody's, I pray it's a whole bunch of somebody's, but someone is going to be the one that says, I'm ready to tip the scales. I'm not going to wait on the crowd to see if they call. I'm not going to wait on the crowd to see if they act. I'm not going to wait on the crowd to say, if they do it, then I'll do it. I'm going to have something so birthed in my heart right now for the Lord that I'm going to tip the scales. This is where revival was birthed out of. This is where the awakenings were birthed out of. It was someone saying, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to tip the scales. This was Jesus. This was Jesus 2,000 years ago when he's walking on planet Earth. He's not sitting there going, you know what, I'm going to wait until a big enough group of people come together. Like my, 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 my core team is, is 10,000. Once those 10,000 come, then we'll tip the scales. Jesus tipped the scales by himself. And then people came in. And so he goes on, and, 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 and Chris Valtani says, man, and I, I just have to share this. He said, in these moments, these tipping point moments, he says, there are three things in common. I didn't even share this first service. I, I literally, I was like, ah, I don't know. I felt like you needed to hear this. He says, there's three things in common when we're trying to create tipping points for the vision that God has laid before us. Number one, three things in common when you're creating tipping points is there's a time of desperation. There's a time of des desperate people, desperate people who are in a bad situation, and he, and he rattles off Gideon and Moses and Nehemiah, and he's like, here's, our, here's, here's men in the Bible that they're in this moment of desperation. <coughs> Gideon's crying out to the Lord over and over and over and over and over. He's like, God, you're going to have to move. He said, these people are crushing us. And Gideon's like, I'm done. I'm desperate. I'm crying out. He, he uses even for the everyday movement, the civil rights movement. We're done. We're desperate. And then he said, number two, time of desperation. Number two, a person who gets fed up, filled up, and fired up. Amen? Fed up. Everybody say fed up. Filled up. Fired up. Fired. I heard the George accent right there. A person who gets fed up, filled up, and fired up to make a difference, and almost always because they've had a God encounter. The person who says, I'm done with it. 
Whatever it is that you're done with, I'm done with it. I'd rather die than go back to this. This was Joshua. This was David. This was John the Baptist. We're done. We're fed up. We're filled up. We're fired up. John the Baptist is going, I will go and preach in the wilderness if I have to. And if I have to preach in the wilderness, I'm going to wear camel skin, eat locusts, and people are going to think I'm the weirdest cat around. But I'm going to do it because I'm done. And he uses an everyday... He uses Rosa Parks. I love when he shares about Rosa Parks. He said, Rosa Parks knew that day. She had it in her memoirs. That day, she's, she said, I will not go to the back of the bus. This wasn't just something that just came upon her. All of a sudden, it was like, oh, I really wanted to sit in the front. She was done that day and said, when I get on the bus, after a long day of work, I will not go to the back of the bus. You can call the police, you can arrest me, you can beat me, you can do whatever you want to do, but I will not go to the back of the bus. And then this young man named Martin Luther King Jr. was watching. <laughs> and she created a tipping point, and he ran with it. This right here, these tipping points, a time of desperation, person fed up, filled up, and fired up. And then the number three part that he says is that we have this holy, hopeful desperation. That it's not all for loss. That we're not going to miss the mark. That God is going to move. This holy, hopeful desperation. Desperate hope among people. When suddenly we realize, holy smoke, we have the power of God inside of us. Holy smoke, this little bit of a mustard seed has a 15-foot tree. This little sequoia, this little sequoia seed is the largest tree in the world. Right, right there in that moment, somebody says, I have this hopeful, hopeful desperation inside of me. Now, why do I share all that? I share all that because I think it's important for you and I to know and, and you and I to begin to build the vision for Reliance Community Church. I want you to hear, if our purpose is to see and reflect the glory of God, the, the vision of Reliance Community Church is just as simple. Here, here it is. It's to experience the realities. Somebody say the realities. Reality. To experience the realities of the gospel in everyday life. We want to experience, we want to tip the scales. We want people to say, this is what the church is all about. It's a bunch of people come together on a Sunday morning, and then they talk about Jesus, they talk about Jesus, they talk about Jesus, and then they don't go and do anything. We want to tip the scales. And the way we want to tip the scales is we want to say, no, we're a bunch of people that want to experience the realities of the gospel message in everyday life and Sunday. Amen? <laughs> Woo, we overcomplicate the vision of God. We believe you're here to get equipped daily, to go out there and live daily. We believe it. Scripture tells us that we're supposed to set our sights. We're supposed to set our sights. Remember, it's not just what we perceive, but our sights. We're supposed to set our hearts on the realities of heaven. We're supposed to set our hearts and our sights on the realities of heaven. He would not tell us to set our sights on the realities of heaven if heaven was not ready to invade earth. He wouldn't tell us that. He wouldn't tell us something to do if it was not tangible. But for some reason, sometimes when we begin to read these things, I want you to know, we're just like, I don't know if that's really what he means. And I want to tell you something, church. We believe every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the vision for reliance, and I'll just share what I shared last week. This is the vision for all people, I believe, in the Lord, is this calling for Christ's followers, is that we live out the gospel in everyday life. This is something that's tangible. 
It's not theoretical. We're not theoretically speaking. I'm not up here saying sometimes we live our lives as believers and, and, and you know, the things of God are just theoretical like, yeah, you know, theoretically God likes to heal. No, he doesn't theoretically like to heal. He reality likes to heal. He doesn't theoretically want to bring joy into your life and hope into your life and peace in your life. We don't say that theoretically so that you feel goosebumps and then leave. Then go, I don't have any peace in my life. He doesn't theoretically want to do it. He reality wants to do it. He really, really wants to do it. We've got to get over this theoretical thing. Theoretical means, you know, in theory, God wants to. No, in reality, God has already done it and wants to continue to do it. There's the reality that when the good news, when the gospel message, there's a reality when the gospel message is lived out. It's all through scripture. When it's lived out on a daily basis, it transforms culture. You're not here by default. You're not here because it's the thing to do on Sunday morning and you do your checklist. Trust me, you could be out doing a thousand other things. You're here because the Lord has brought you here because there's a reality that when God is in your life, something changes in you. So our vision as the church is to see that reality lived out in our life as well. Can I tell you the language of the gospel? When you, when you read through scripture, the language of the gospel that we read consistently over and over and over and over again, listen to the language of the gospel. He came to set you free, came to give you freedom, came to give you abundant life, came to give you joy, peace, all the fruits of the spirit, came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to make you whole. He came to make you full. He came to make you complete, lacking nothing. We have everything we need for life and godliness. He came so that you would be complete. This is the language of the gospel. We read it over and over and over and over and over. It's not a theory that we think that we buy into, that we try to theorize. It's a reality in our life. So what does this mean for us? It means this. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus said this. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save. Somebody say save. save. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That word save is the Greek word that they use all throughout the New Testament, and it's called sozo. Everybody say sozo. Sozo has kind of different variations of the meaning all through the New Testament, but the three main variations that it has is this. He came to save a spiritual salvation. He came for, for physical healing, and he came to deliver us. He came for salvation, healing, and deliverance, church. Listen to this. He came for salvation, healing, and deliverance. And this encompasses the, all three areas of our life. These are not separate. He came for this whole concept, body, mind, and spirit. He wants to bring you together in wholeness. And so if you're struggling in one of those three areas, God came in his sozo saving grace, in his saving grace of sozo, to make you whole in body, mind, and spirit. Because when we're whole in those ways, it shows the fullness of him. It's not pointing to us. It's pointing to him. It's not pointing to my, my glory. It's pointing to his glory. Uh, I'm telling you, at first service, I coughed all throughout. I'm just telling you, the louder I yell, the better it is for me. So, <laughs> Second Peter 1.3 
His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So what do we desire for you? If you're attending Reliance, if we're family, if we're partners in this thing together, what is it that we desire for you to do in the realities of the gospel being lived out daily? What is this sozo life that we are asking you guys to live out and then to equip other people in? It's these three areas. One, that there is a spiritual thing that's happening in your life where you are being and you have been spiritually saved. Paul says to work out our salvation okay so there are days where we're trying to like we're trying to reconcile we're trying to work that out but I want you to hear you have been not you are being you have been saved amen, amen. and so there's a reality of salvation can you bring out that slide whoever's back there and Mark 13 13 and you will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved Mark 16 16 whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned there's this nature of your spiritual life where you have been and are working it out been saved number two there's a physical healing this is kind of big spectrum big picture of what sozo means there's physical healing James 5, 15, and the prayer of the faith will, somebody say will, save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Luke 8, 48, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you, everybody say well, go in peace. I don't understand all the aspects of physical healing. I don't. I know that I've prayed for a lot of people who never got healed. I know I've prayed for a lot of people that I thought God were going to heal and they passed away. But I know whether this side of eternity or the next side of eternity, they're healed. So I'm just telling you right now that when Jesus came, he brought salvation to the spirit and he brought healing to the body. And so we don't give up on it just because our perception didn't line up with what we thought. We see the mountain and we go beyond the mountain because we see the realities with our heart. We see kingdom vision in who Jesus is. Number three, deliverance, Luke 8, 36. And those who had seen it told them told them how the demon possessed man had been what the Lord does not want you to walk in a place where you feel tormented in your life these three things mark the ministry of Jesus these three things he walked he says repent salvation is near he brought healing and he brought deliverance. And because he lived out those realities, all of the sudden there was a tipping point in history where all of the sudden, where everybody was just doing this thing, Jesus comes and he tips the balance. And when he tipped the balance, there was an awakening in people and the first church shot off like a rocket. And now here we are 2,000 years later and over 2 billion people follow Jesus Christ because he tipped the scales. Can he do it again? Can he do it again? Okay, Van, come on up. I'm going to, yeah, I don't even know where I'm going. Will you bring up the next slide, though? So here, here's what I want to challenge your heart with. There's five things that I think are the realities of the gospel that, <coughs> excuse me, that we have to work through. Number one, salvation. That God's grace is what saves you, not your law, not your works. You, you hear us preach this over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Just because you think that you can try to work better, try harder, doesn't get you any more salvation earned. Amen, church. So if you struggle with condemnation in your salvation, and you're struggling with that condemnation. Today is the day where you live out the reality of the gospel and you say, God, I am not saved because of what I do. I'm saved because of who you are. Amen. 
Number two, maybe this is your reality of the gospel you're struggling with. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy in relationship with God. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides, lives, dwells, hangs in me, and I in him. He is the one that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Maybe your biggest struggle is this intimacy part where you've separated God out of your life except for your Sunday morning experience, or you've separated God out of your life except for certain aspects of your life. And he's saying, no, intimacy means that we're vulnerable and I get in every area. The reality of the gospel is that God desires to be intimate with you. Not up there, you're down here, he's got lightning bolts. He's ready to throw them. Number three, healing, hope, and freedom. Man, we, I feel like we spend months and months and months out of the year on these three things. I want, I want so badly for people to come in and experience healing, hope, and freedom in this place. It says in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body and on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been, let me say have been, healed. It's time. Listen, if what's stopping you from living out the reality of the gospel in your everyday life, if what's stopping you is because you're waiting for the healing, you're waiting for the hope, you're waiting for the freedom, it is yours right now in Jesus Christ. Whether or not you perceive to see it in the physical or you see it in the kingdom vision that God, Holy Spirit. Number four. Holy Spirit, the realities of heaven, the realities of living <coughs> out the gospel are that we believe powerfully in the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit is the power of God at work. So we believe that the Holy Spirit has gifted you and given you gifts and given you opportunities to use those gifts for the tipping point. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And finally, family adoption. Family adoption, we talk about it all the time. That we are not beggars. We are not just a bunch of people <coughs> that God wants to throw to the side. He literally says in Galatians 4, 4 through 6, that he's adopted us into his family as sons and daughters, and by which we cry out, Abba, Father, he's our Father. And so in these five things, <coughs> salvation, intimacy, healing, hope, freedom, Holy Spirit, gifts, power of God, family, adoption, whatever it may be, if that's what's struggling in your heart so that you can begin to walk these realities out, church, then today's the day where we create a tipping point. Somebody that says, I'm done. I'm done with condemnation. Somebody says, I'm, I'm done with putting God to the outside. I'm ready for that intimate relationship. I'm done with sitting there saying, I'm not free. I'm not free. I'm free in Him. I have hope in Him. I don't theorize it. I believe it. It's my reality. I want the Holy Spirit. I want to be a part of the family. I want to be a part of the family of God. So, so here's what I want to do. Stand up, would you? Uh, uh, prayer team, will you guys come up? <laughs> prayer team's going to be up here. If you're struggling through one of those things, and you know it, there's something that's keeping you from living out this reality. The altar's going to be open. Come receive healing, 
come and, 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 and receive, you know, uh, uh, your change to fall off from condemnation. Come receive the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is that you're struggling through, the, the prayer team is going to be up here. But otherwise, I'm just going to ask you to put your hands out. I just want to pray over you. The band's going to close out. But I just, it's time. Father, create tipping points in this place. Just one person, God, one person who tips the scales. One person who says, I'm fed up. I'm fed up. I'm filled up. And I'm fired up. One person that says, I want to tip the scales. One person that catches a kingdom vision. One person that says, it's not the way that I'm perceiving it. It's what you say, Jesus. One person who says, I'm tired of seeing with my eyes. I want to see with my heart. I want to believe what you can do. So today, God, I pray for a bunch of men and women in this place that are going to tip the scales. They're going to tip the scales at their workplace. They're going to tip the scales, God, in their families. They're going to tip the scales in their marriages. They're going to tip the scales, God, in their gyms. They're going to tip the scales because they've got vision and vision to live out the realities of the gospel in their everyday life. And if there's any hindrance, Father, today, Jesus, we break those hindrances and we receive your love your grace, your mercy in Jesus' name. It's in your name we pray these things. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.